My name is Tom B. I'm an alcoholic. We don't even hug in my group. I got down here and I got more ribbons than a Chinese general. I want to thank the committee for inviting my wife and I down here. It, it's get a lot of strength from you people. The enthusiasm, the caring I see among people. Not that we, we, we don't have it at home, but we just don't express it as much. We don't stop in the hallway and hug each other and kiss each other. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. I come here to share my strength over experience. I pulled from 32 years of sobriety in March. No, July the 5th, 1962 is when I come to A. And I pulled from bed in 32 years, and, and you jump around a lot. Because as you're talking, how it was then, it, it hits you on what's going on now. And, and I jump back and forth. And, and I was always concerned with that. You shouldn't do that. You should keep some kind of order, what have you. And then it dawned on me one day, I'm talking alcoholics. <laughs> and you're not too tightly wrapped. <laughs> And, and you don't have any problem with that. It goes, any, any alky can follow another alky. I'll sit down with any five alkies in a room for 20 minutes and we know each other five years. Because alkies don't talk from here, they talk from here. Whole different world. Whole different world. For those of you who heard my wife this afternoon, I don't, I don't know who she was talking about. I don't remember that guy. But, uh, we qualify. We're trying to go from the fun years to the sick years to the dying years. We're trying to get there fast so we can we can get into the, the learning how to live and we can get into what this sobriety is all about. And during my lead, you're going to get the impression I love AA, all people. Believe me, I'll do everything in my power to let you know I love AA. I'll reach down to my toes if I have to. Saved my sanity, saved my life, saved my wife's sanity, saved her life. Uh, so many. You get a second chance here. You get a second chance at life. I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. My father was an admitted alcoholic. Drinking was no big deal in our neighborhood, in our home, or every relation, everybody we knew drank. We didn't want home anybody that didn't drink. Friday nights, my dad worked in the shipyards. Friday nights was the big night out. That's where my mother took my sister and I and we met dad down at the neighbor's bar and they had the fish fries and played shuffleboard and sang songs, told lies about the old country. I was only about six or seven and even then I knew something wasn't right here. It was so damn good in Ireland, why the hell did they leave? I'd taken these menial jobs they could do or whatever. When I was 16, everybody had a draft card saying they were 18 and you drank. That's what you did. It was just a way of life, people. It was, you never, never gave it a second thought. Got into some trouble and they shipped me off to the service. 
And I spent four years in the service. It was no big deal. I, I didn't like it when I went in. It was like going to jail. I went in a private, and four years later, I come out of private. That was that was the end of my service career. <laughs> Every time I got a promotion, I go to town, get drinking to celebrate, and wind up in the stockade and start all over again. So that was it. You get home after you get discharged, and these are the legal drinking years. These are when you're expected to drink. You're getting rehabilitated. The civilian life. I was cut in a bar fight in San Francisco. My dad told everybody in the neighborhood that I was wounded in Korea. People, I don't know where Korea is. I couldn't find Korea on a map. But I walk into a neighborhood bar and the bartender would buy the first drink and everybody in the neighborhood knew my folks and they were sending me drinks down. There's Tommy had a rough over there. They'd line up the drinks. It was great. Finally, one of the old timers in the neighborhood comes down and he puts his arm around his shoulder. He says, gee, Tom, I heard you had a rough over there. How did it happen? I just put my head down and said, well, the doctor said I shouldn't talk about that. What the hell are you going to tell him? You're not going to make a liar out of your dad, and, and if he's buying a drink, she'll tell him anything he wants to hear. I don't know when the alpita won't. I don't know when the alpita won't be what he has to be at the time. God. Years ago, I, I had a nurse. Oh, 20 years. I, I don't know people. I can't. This isn't a day trip. It's a feeling trip. You ask any speaker that gets up here, and I don't care what they do, with jokes that they do, with stories that they or they just, just talk. To the best of their ability, they're reaching down in their gut, and they're trying to get somebody here that's new what was given to them. That's what you're trying to do up here. You're hoping to God that somebody who walks in that room was as nubby as you were when you got here, and looked around this room, and heard people laughing, and seen people hugging, and says, oh my God, it may work for them, but it never worked for me. I'm different. We get up here and we try to tell you, no, you're not different. We've been where you are. But you don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay there today. I won't promise anyone in this room I'll be sober tomorrow. I won't do it. I'll do what I've been doing for over 32 years, a day at a time, at midnight. That's it. I start fresh in the morning. Do what I've been doing all the time. It works. I'm going to keep it simple. That's all you're going to get from me. Simplicity. No head trips. But anyway, they started this hospital, and at that time, there weren't too many places to, that you could take alcoholics other than the halfway houses and what have you, rosary. So they, they, this thing came in fast, and, and they started this hospital, and they put the alcoholics and the metal patients on the same floor, second floor, two west. Believe me, they were a lot closer to right then than they are now. But up, we used to go up and talk to the patients. And the second time I'm up, the nurse see me coming, and she says, Oh, Tommy, you're here to talk to the patients? I says, Yes. She says, Okay, I'll get them. And I watched her. She walked down the long hall. And she passed one or two people, passed a few more, tap one guy, passed a few more, tap another guy. Finally, she got about 10 or 12 people together. She says, Go down to the TV room. We're going to have a, an AA meeting. And I grabbed her. I says, how do you know who to tap and who not to tap? Do they wear badges? Or, or how do you know the alcoholics from the mental patients? She says, oh, it's easy. As you know, I've been sober a little while now, and I look down the hall, and I don't see any difference. She says, you could if you were here three days, Tom. That's why is that? She says, well, we carry them all in. After three days, you see the ones walking down the hall, kind of quiet and sedate to themselves. I says, yeah. She says, they're the mental patients. You see the ones in the office telling us how to run the hospital? <laughs> huh? Yeah. 
Oh, I'm with my kind of people. You know, Eddie Albies. My wife and I, we still... First time that you get up here and things come, and the first time I told that story, people laughed. And I thought, boy, isn't it great? Isn't it great? You realize you're laughing at yourself if you're an Alpi? You know how great it is to be able to, to learn how to laugh at yourself? You know how great it is to be able to take yourself kind of light? God Almighty, if you tell a joke about an Alpi when he's drinking, he'll punch your lights out. He don't like it. Very thin-skinned people we are. We come here and we laugh at ourselves. What a blessing. That's the beginning of getting well, people. We're going to laugh. Oh, God, I hope we laugh. Greatest medicine in the world. We may cry. That's good, too. We can feel again. We can feel again. Anyway, I'm, I'm home maybe a year. I, I, like I say, I don't remember a lot of things, but I was home close to a year, and, and I'm going on two and three day drunks, and I'm getting into some problems, I'm getting into some trouble. My dad grabbed me one night, he says, Tom, don't you think your mother's seen enough of this nonsense with me? She shouldn't have to get through this again with you. If this is the way you want to live your life, Tommy, grow up. Just, just pack your bags and get out in, get out of the house, get out into the world and grow up, grow up. One of the first things I heard when I come to these rooms, when are you going to grow up? I said, okay, Dad, and I packed my bags, and I was I figured I'd go back out to California. I was stationed there a while, I'll be back and make my money. I'll, I'll even send money back to the poor people. <coughs> Drink and dream, you screwy son of a gun, you know. And I got on a bus, and I, I started out to California, and I had a red stop in a town called Lorain, Ohio. And I seen the bars up the street, and I figured, well, I'll get off the bus, have a couple of drinks. That was 1952. <laughs> I'm still in Lorain, Ohio. <laughs> I get qualifying right there. Whenever I drink, everything leaves. Buses, clothes, houses, cars, houses, you name it. Loan companies come after me. Everybody comes after me. Because there's something wrong with me. When I take one drink, the only thing important to me is another drink. Now, you can call it anything you want. You can call it alcoholism. I'm allergic to booze. If I put one boob shot in beer in me right now, I can't promise anyone in this room where I'll be at midnight. Never could. Never, never could. And doubt like hell if I can now. It's probably be worse now than it was then. In fact, I know it'll be worse now than it was then. I've seen people with 26 years of sobriety streak again. Wind up blowing their brains out. No fun. I'm not here to put pins in your balloon, people. I just want you to remember where you come from. This isn't a cookie club. <laughs> We're here and we laugh and we hug and we, we share. We're trying to save each other's life. That's why we're here. We're trying to stay sober today. That's why we're here. And I hope that God, there's somebody out there that's thinking, well, I'll go to that conference, but if I hear any more, I have some son of a gun stick his finger in my chest, I'm going to hell with them. That's how I used to feel. I hope there's somebody here tonight to meet somebody. And if you're thinking that way, just, just hang on. Please, hang on. Come with me. Come with me. I'll show you where you and you'll end up. So I called home for money. I said, Dad, I'm in this town. I need some dough. And as soon as I get out to the coast, I'll send it back a hundredfold, Dad. Well, my dad had been talking to people in AA. <laughs> hey, I have this son that's nuttier than a fruitcake when he drinks. What can I do to help him? Frank, you want to help him? Yes. Don't help him. What kind of advice is that? 
You want to help something? Let him wake up in enough jails. Let him beat his head in against enough walls. Let him get to the point where he's sick and tired of being sick and tired. Let him get to the point for a couple of seconds he gets honest with himself and he says, maybe it's me. Then we'll break up backs to help him, Frank. But till then, let the clown finish his act. People, if I learned nothing in 32 years, I learned one thing. This is not for people who need it. It's for people who want it. Now, you've done it if you've been around a while, and I've, I've done it, and I know I'll do it again. You go out and try to help people that need it and don't want it. And it's all right. We'll keep this over. Break your heart, too. So my dad hangs up. I get drinking in a bar, and some guy says they need chemical engineers at a chemical plant there in Avon Lake. So I go out for an interview. I get the job. Now I'm a chemical engineer. I can't spell chemical engineer. <laughs> While working there, I met this young lady. She's with me tonight. God bless her. We just celebrated December the 28th. We celebrated 42 years of marriage. I knew I had a good thing the minute I met her, and now I know I got a great thing. Believe me, people, if this, if this, if the shoe was on the other foot, the marriage wouldn't have lasted four months. There's a knock in this room or any room I've ever been in that can take what he put a dirty dish out. Not a one of us. Not a one of us. <laughs> if she was the out, I would have nailed the door shut and that'd be it. We're blessed. God, we're blessed. If, if we walk into a meeting, any meeting, and, and even at home, I get the coffee. Sit down, babe, I'll get the, I don't get the coffee because I'm some kind of a wimp. I get the coffee because it's my way of saying thanks, babe. Thanks for being the woman you were when I wasn't the man I should have been. Thanks for raising my kids. Thanks for keeping a roof over their head. Thanks for making sure they get to school and get the things they needed when I couldn't. Thank you for being you. That's why I get the coffee. It's my way of showing respect to somebody that held the, held the thing together. I couldn't. She invited me to a house for dinner, and I went to her house. I met a mother, and a mother and I hit it off. It was great. She was in nursing training, and, and I was working nights at the chemical plant, and I used to leave the chemical plant in the morning, go to her house, have breakfast, take her to the hospital, go to my room, sleep all day, pick her up when she got off work, and spent the whole night with her. I, I never, before I went to work, I would never let her out of my sight. I knew I had a good thing. I wasn't letting it go. Her dad was a pipe fitter welder by a trade. He was working down here on the river somewhere at that time. And he come home one weekend, about three weeks after I was running with this young lady. And I met him and he says, let's go up to the corner. I figured, oh boy, my kind of guy. <laughs> and we went up to the corner and we got drinking and we hit it off great. We're telling jokes, we're laughing, we're having a great time. About midnight he says, Tom, would you do me a favor? I says, you name it, Walt, you got it. He's never come near my home or my daughter again. That's what the hell are you talking about? We, we get along great. At the... <clears throat> He's, we do. I'll drink with you anytime, but I don't want you to tangle up my daughter. You drink too much. I said, what do you mean I drink too much? You're drinking drinks, I drink with me. He's, that's why I know. I put my family to hell with this booze. You think I want my daughter tied up with something like you? I said, I'm going to marry your daughter. He's over my dead body. I said, need be. And the lights went out. He broke my nose. Boom. <laughs> 
hour later, we're down in the hospital. I've sewn up his mouth, his eye, my nose. It's a mess. Three days later, I married his daughter. I went to work drunk, and I lost the job. Here I am in a strange town with a wife. No job, no nothing. What can a poor guy do? He takes me down to the pipe for his local in Cleveland, gets me started in an apprenticeship. And we take a two-car garage that he had in the back of his house he just had built. And we remodeled it into the honeymoon cottage. And my wife and I moved into the honeymoon cottage, and I started working as an apprentice pipe fitter. And as soon as Tommy starts making better money, we're going to buy a house in the suburbs and live happily ever after. <laughs> Four children and seven years later, we're still in the cottage. And I'm a dreamer now. I'm making a pretty decent buck when I work, but when <laughs> the more I make, the more I drink. I used to drink on Friday, Saturday, sober up Sunday, go to work Monday. Now it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, sober up Monday, go to work Tuesday. Get paid on Wednesday, don't make Thursday. Wake up in, in God, Chicago, Philadelphia, New Jersey. New, wake up in, I never knew where I was going to wake up. Corner, corner park. Kitchen floor. I used to wake up on the kitchen floor a lot. She'd come out and she'd Tommy, I, I need some money for groceries, Tommy. I don't have any money for groceries. I get drinking and it's buy them a drink, buy them a, you know. So I used to do the only thing I had to do, I used to attack. Damn it, I drank when I married you, I'm going to continue to drink and if you don't like it, I'm leaving you. That was my big spiel. I'm leaving you. You're not going to make me like that neighbor. I had a neighbor, oh, I hated his guts. That guy. Normal people. The, the biggest thing in his life is his grass. Every Saturday morning, he'd be mowing a damn grass. Noise that you get a hangover and have somebody run the lawnmower blows your head off. He be I'd be in a neighborhood bar having a couple of drinks and he'd walk in and I see him and I send him down to drink. Give so and so a drink. He drink one drink and leave. That's where you're going. He said, I gotta go home. Supper's waiting. Supper's waiting. That never dawned on me. I don't care what's waiting. Uh, that's like going into a barbershop and getting half a haircut. I'll be back next week for the rest. Who the hell ever heard of one drink and leave? Never entered my mind. Pack my bands like I'm leaving. And she come in and cry. Oh, Tom, what did I do? I didn't mean to upset you. Oh, people for years I had the world by the tail. I had my wife believing it was her fault I drank. They took me to AA, they took her to that communist club. <laughs> yeah? Don't laugh. Don't laugh. Your wife goes there, fella, your act's going right down the tube. It's all over. It's all over. Thank God. Thank God. God almighty. You know, I <laughs> have a son, Chris. He just celebrated 11, 12 years, 12 years of sobriety. You, you can come into our home and you could kid about anything you want. You could tell jokes about religion. You could tell jokes about our furniture. You could tell jokes. Don't make one joke about our non You'll go our feet first. You're on sacred ground, people. And if I can't throw you out, Chris is about 6'4", 250 pounds. He'll throw you out because he loves AA too. Took him on the streets and gave his wife and family back. This is, this is a gift, people. This is a, you get a second chance here. You come here and you know you get a new brain. You get a new brain when you come here. And you look at things different than you used to think. And what you used to think is important, was important, isn't important. You live on a much... I don't want to come back the way it was. I, I found a way of life I never dreamed existed here.
I never want to go back. Well, one shot and one beer put me back. And I better never forget that. Come on, one night by four in the morning, my suitcase hit me right in the chest. She says, go, I can't live this way anymore. I'll get a job. I'll do whatever I have to do. I, I, I just can't live like this. And I was happy. I was going to go into Cleveland, get a room on the Gold Coast. I was going to get a Cadillac convertible. I was going to be a playboy. Oh, jeez. When you're not working too steady, you're not a playboy. You live on 65th in Detroit. Eight dollars a week in a room. Behind the, the neighborhood bar. And where do you... Your big nights out, all the fun you're having, you're sitting in some diet peeling the labels off of beer bottles and listening to poor me songs. Tell me about the good times. And you're getting popped. Oh, God, your legs are shot, your tendons are off, and you're boom, boom. When you want to see your kids, you want to see your kids on a... After the bars close. You're getting your old junk of... Car, God almighty cars. I, everybody in construction has two, two cars. Most everybody. People that don't drink in construction have two cars. One that they, they drive to the mills and the different jobs. And one, the family car at home that they take trips with and vacation. I have one car. Old beat up Plymouth with, with ball tires and no ignition key. Lost the keys drinking one night. My electrician buddy says, don't worry, Tommy, I'll fix it. Reaches under the dash, pulls out all the wires. Puts three wires together, gives me a clothespin, you put the clothespin on three wires, and that's how the car starts. That's how I used to live. Get out of the car every morning, put the clothespin on the three wires, go to work. You go on the work in, in hundreds of cars all around you, traffic, the morning traffic, hit a bump and the, the, the clothespin falls and the car stops. You know what the damn clothespin with a hangover? I thought that was normal. I thought everybody, everybody I knew drank like that, lived like that. So at three in the morning, I used to get in my car and drive out to Avon Lake. I'm going to see my kids. Well, you're not going to see your kids because they have what they call restraining orders. But you go anyway and you beat on the door and you beat on the windows and the cops pull in. Come on, come with us. No, I'm going to see my kids. No, you're not going to see your kids. Now, don't give us a hard time. You leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. They're not going to leave you alone. God, listen to me. If there's anybody in here in a crowd like this, I hate to say it, but somebody's going out. Hope it's not me, but some, somebody's going out. If a cop comes up to you real nice and says, hey, young fella, come with me, do yourself a favor. Go with him. Go with him. I'm trying to save you a lot of pain. You're going to throw, you're going to throw one punch and you're going to wake up in jail. Your hair is going to hurt. And I don't blame cops. I have nothing in this. If I was a cop and, and, and somebody talked to me the way I used to talk to them, I'd break his head too. And this goes on. You wake up in jail week in and week out. It, it gets old, people. I remember one time I was on a, yeah, Whatever. But some guy did a job on me. I got 37 stitches in my face. And I remember I went in the emergency room and the nurse says, should we give him anything? He says, no, I'll just put the sheet over his face. He don't need anything. And they start sewing. And I thought, oh, this would be a good time to go out and see the wife. She'll feel sorry for me and let me in the house. And I went out to the back door of the house. I knocked on the door. She opened the door and looked at me, and she smiled. She said, oh, God, answers prayers. You finally got yours. And slammed the door. That was it. <laughs> Tickle of death. There was no love in our house. There was no love in our house. Believe me. She says it was better than a year. I don't remember. But I'm on the wagon for three weeks. I'm, I'm fed up with it, people. I don't like living that way. And I called her up. I said, I want to take you and the kids on a picnic. 
excuse your drink and I said no I haven't had a drink in three weeks she's okay and I went and I bought picnic baskets and baseball gloves and who teaches how to be a father I don't, I don't know people I don't know I wanted to love I could only love with the alcoholics want to love they don't know how I could only love as much as the alcohol would let me we have four absolutes. One of them is honesty, purity, unselfishness. I couldn't be unselfish my whole life. Me first. That's part of the, goes with the territory. It's part of the disease. I remember when I was working there, guys used on the job, you say, Tommy's a great guy when I was pushing work. Tommy's a great guy. I'd give you a shirt off his back. You're damn right I would. But tomorrow I'm taking two off of you. I don't know any alky any difference. I don't know any alky that's drinking that isn't selfish. Not because he wants to be. You don't know how not to be. You don't want to be that way. But I went out to the house with the picnic baskets and I took them down the valley and I played ball. Catch the ball. Playing daddy. Did this for three weeks in a row and we decided we'd try again. And we bought a house on land contract and we beat up some of the shack that was remodeled in the winter rising and we moved in. People, I stood on the front porch and I, I, I said, Glenn, I'm not going to drink anymore. I'm going to go to work. We're going to live like that. I had people in the neighborhood. I made as much money as they did more than a lot of them. And they were going to Florida in the wintertime. And they were buying new cars every other year. And their kids went to school in the wintertime dressed warm. My kids went with holes in their shoes. Something's wrong. And I wasn't going with smoke. And I wasn't trying to con anybody. I meant everything I said. When I said I wasn't going to drink anymore, I meant it. I meant it. And 30 days later, the house payment's due, and now I haven't got it, and I'm sitting on the front porch nursing a hangover, because sometime during that 30 days, I stopped in for one drink. I've been good. I work hard. One drink, and the rat race starts all over again. One drink, and this head just flips. One drink, and everything else, but another drink is second. And I don't know why it is. That's how it is. That's how it was then. That's how it is now. I can't drink. I can't if I want to pay the price. I don't want to pay the price anymore. I paid too much. While I'm sitting on the porch, the brother-in-law comes up. My brother-in-law's an electrician buddy of mine. He wants to fix my car. Introduce him to my wife's sister, and they got married. Oh, my God. You see my father-in-law now. He's a raving maniac. Got two Alfies for son-in-laws. He comes up, and he's not looking too good. He's all the time. I got problems. I mean, you got problems. Well, I got drunk and drive insurance. I got to go before Jensen next week. That's Bob. I don't want to hear about it. I got four of them in the last six months. I'm paying off the last one on time payments up in Avon. I'm borrowing money from loan companies to pay lawyers and fines. He said, my wife's divorced me. I said, no. He said, how do you know? I said, I got my papers this morning, too. <laughs> Judge Jensen was a friend of the family. He said, call both the girls. And he said, look, I'll give you two divorces for the price of one. Get rid of both of them. They never were any good. They never will be any good. While we're sitting there talking, the wife comes out. And she tells my brother-in-law that her and her sister were talking to a minister in that town. And they he told them about a group of people that meet on Friday nights and it might be worth a shot because they, they're putting their lives together and they don't drink. And he says, you think if I go to that club she'll hold off on a divorce? She says, I don't know, Bob. It might be worth a shot. You and I'll get along great when you don't drink. I figured, there's my up. I say, how about me? I'll go. I'll go to Girl Scouts, the Boy Scouts. I'll go. You. They don't make anything help people like you. You're just crazy. I went in the house. Friday night, we went to our first, quote, AA meeting. I'm 28 years old. He's 27. 
And two things I'm very sure of people is one, I don't like or trust people. You're all phonies. Everybody's out for what they can get. I'm a sucker you before you sucker me. That's how I believe. That's how I was raised. I didn't know I was going to meet people like I met in these rooms. I didn't know I was going to meet people to take your hand and, and come to your house and stay with you till 3 o'clock in the morning just to help you through the night. They don't even care what your last name is or what you do for a living or who you know or what color you are or what church you go to. Or nothing other than, look, we're going to help you get through the night. And that's how they get the joy, watching somebody stay sober. You know how good that is? When we get to Elon Lake, it's a, it's a church cafeteria type room. And we open the doors and we're shoulder to shoulder, we're tight, because I don't know what to expect. We stand there and look out the room and there's 20 or 30 people and they're all dressed nice and look good. I figured, oh my God. And they're all old. God, they're old. 45, 50, 55 years old. No wonder they quit drinking. For crying out they try to drink with me today, they'll die. They can't cut it today. Look at the, how old they are. And where the hell they ever drink? I got 35 cents in my pocket, a pair of loafers, a dumb pair of holes in them, a clean pair of pants, clean shirt. That's it. That's all I have. There's guys in that room talking to their wives. Who the hell talks to their wife? We don't talk. We fight. We can't talk one five minutes without bending each other's throat. Stand there looking around the room, there's five, six guys telling jokes over by the coffee. One guy breaks away, starts towards us. He's 105. <laughs> Hi, it's so good to see you young guys. This program works, fellas. I haven't had a drink in 16 years. Oh my God, 16 years? My legs got weak. My brother said, boy, you gotta be awful thirsty, mister. Who the hell are hurt? Not drinking for 16 years. Don't talk to me about not drinking when you talk about years. In our group, we talk days, hours, and minutes. One day. One day. God almighty. 16 years. <laughs> While he starts talking, it's like grabs him. It's not me, Mr. Him. He's got drunken driving charges. His wife's divorced him. He's in big trouble. He lost his job. I come to help him. I can quit any time I want. Oh, okay. And he left, and I went over and got some coffee. And they announced the lead. Oh, boy. Here's the Messiah. Here's the guy that make us well. And my brother-in-law and I, we went over on the side where, where you're sitting. And we sat over there. I'm not joining anything. I'm just looking you over. I don't even know the questions. Huh? All I know is I'm getting sued for divorce. They're turning off the gas. I can't get a job out of the hall because they know the second I get a paycheck, I'm drunk. I'll give it to somebody that deserves it. Loan companies are guaranteeing my pay when I do work. At home, things are miserable. The kids, if I'm in the kitchen, the kids go in the living room. If I go in the living room, the kids go in the, the kids are afraid of daddy. Daddy's nuts. Come with me. Come with me a minute. I didn't know my own kids when they were growing up. I didn't know them when they were six and seven and five and four. I didn't know them. I was never, never involved with them. Now we have, we have six grandchildren. You get a second chance here, people. You get a second chance. I, I, I got a grandson, Justin, a tough little monkey. God, he, he's the light of my life. When he was seven years old, he won a paint belt in karate. 
And, and, and whenever he'd come from practice in karate, he would come into my, into my kitchen. Grandpa, Grandpa, I learned a new move, you know? And one day I'm standing by the kitchen and making coffee, and he, I hear him, Grandpa, and I turn around, he's like, I learned a new move, and he jumps up and kicks. Oh, my God. You know how they kick when I said You get down like a ton of bricks. Oh! And he jumps up, and it works, don't it? It works, it works, you little son of a gun. I'll karate you. There's no fear. There's no fear of Grandpa. They, they think Grandpa Santa Claus. And I love it. They come to us with everything. Before they go home, they bring the report cards to Grandpa. Katie, my red-headed Katie. I, I was coming home from a meeting. And it was one of those big red moons, you see, that you could almost touch. And Katie's a redhead, and her hair was just... The moon her hair looked, I don't know, it looked the same. And I, I run down on my son Craig's house. We're tight now. My family, we're real tight. But I run down to Craig's house. as Craig is... Katie around, he said, just put the bed there, but she's awake, you can get her. So I went in there, Katie, yeah, Grandpa. Come on, I'll show you something, Katie. Let's go outside. I see that moon? Wow, she says, yeah, I said, that's yours, Katie. That's your moon. I, I, Katie was three years old. I said, not them half ones and them little ones, just these big ones. I don't care, we go all over the country. We, I don't care if we're in Texas, Alabama, Florida, New York, if, if there's a full moon, I get a phone call. Katie's 15 now. Grandpa, is my moon now? You, 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 no. Hey, you talking about blessings? You get, you get a second chance. You learn how to live. You learn how to love. You learn how to feel. You learn how to think of somebody else besides yourself. Anyway. This guy gets up, and I'll never forget, as long as I live, it was his first deed, it was his first, he was sober one year, it was his first anniversary. And he was leading the meeting and had a cake, right about where this is, with one candle. That was his anniversary cake. And he had a brand new suit on, and a white shirt and tie, and got up and he looked out, this is my first AA meeting. I'm 28 years old, I got people turning off my gas, there's no food in the refrigerator, I haven't got a job, being sued for divorce, got a, I'm, I'm a mess. I come here for some kind of help. I don't know what kind of help. Some kind of help. And I, I listen to this guy that's supposed to have all the answers. And he gets up and he looks out at everybody. He says, isn't it great to be... Oh, first he looked at his wife. She was about the third row. He looked at her. He says, hi, honey. I love you. And she stands up and says, I love you, too. <laughs> My brother-in-law pokes me. He says, what the hell are we doing here? I don't know what we're doing here, you sick son of a gun. You wanted to come here, not me. I love you. My wife's home lighting candles. Dear God, let him die. We'll get the insurance. That's what we want. I come here, I, I love you. That don't cut it. Second thing I hear today. Oh, God. He says, isn't it great to be sober? I got up this morning and I could smell the flowers. <laughs> smell the flowers. I don't poke me again, you son of a gun. I'm, I'm, you're not in my world. You lost me. I ain't no way. I mean, these, these people there. God, oh, smell of flowers. The only thing I could think of was, please get done. I want to get out of here. And he went on and on and on. I go. Finally, I started towards the door. My brother-in-law and I, the exit. I wasn't impressed. I wasn't impressed. And I started out towards the door as quick as I could go. And at the door, at Avon Lake, up until the time he left Florida, he used to stand to George, John M. John M. was 230 pounds, 6 foot 5. And he stands right under the exit. 
And as I'm going out, I figure, oh, that's how it works. Huh? You want to get out of here? You got to pass John, and John's in good shape. Uh, you're not going to drink tonight. You're not going to drink tonight. John sticks out his hand. He says, hello, young fella. I says, hello. He says, well, let's see. You're drunk and driving charge. Maybe two, maybe more. You're getting divorced. You lost your job. He told my whole story in five minutes. And he don't let go of your hands. You're not going anywhere. He just holds your hand. I figure, oh, my wife, my wife called here, told these people all about me. Then this big guy is going to make embarrass me, and I'm supposed to say, I'm sorry, I'll punch him in the mouth, I'll with him. That's where I was. And while John talked to me, people here talk to you, not at you. And they look at you eyeball to eyeball, not down at you. For an alcoholic, you know how that feels? All my life, I had people looking down at me like I'm some kind of moral degenerate. Judges. <laughs> and these people look at you. And I might explain it, but if you felt it, you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the good eyes. The kind, you got them. <laughs> kind, wonderful eyes. Strong eyes. People that seem to know where they were yesterday, where they are today, and where they're going tomorrow. Where do you get that strength without a drink? When I wasn't drinking, I was afraid. I was miserable, I was angry, and I was afraid all the time. I don't know what the hell I was afraid of, but I'm always afraid. I'm not talking about a fight or, or climbing steel. It's just, just a, a dooming fear that you, you're here, but you don't belong here. You, you know, yeah, you know that, you know, you're not. You, it, it's a strange, you're always on the outside looking in. And here you got people, they give you the feeling they like you. How good that feels. I wasn't even invited to family get-togethers, and here I meet a total stranger, and I got the feeling this guy likes me, and I, I, I felt good about that. He introduced me to another man, the guy says, look, I don't care if it's three o'clock in the morning, you call me, you're going to be shaky tonight. I'll come over, we'll get through the night together. You know how good that feels is that somebody say, oh, another man says, I'll pick you up for a meeting tomorrow night, and I live three blocks from you. And on the way home, I said, Bob says, what do you think? I said, boy, Bob, those people got something. I'm going back and find out what it is. I don't know what it is, but they got something. He's not me, Tom. I'm too young. They do all those things they tell you not to. I got too much living to do, Tom. I'm not going back there. I said, well, that's up to you. Did all this living. 18 months, they put him in a straitjacket. Took him home in that house. Up in somebody's attic, hiding from the snakes and the <laughs> bugs that he's seen. Nobody else seen him. He's seen them. And I come back in meetings for four months, and I listen to your success stories. And at home, things were miserable. Things fighting, arguing, yelling, screaming. The wife said, the, the, the kitchen faucet's leaking, you think you can fix it? What do you mean, fix it? I'll get under there, and I'll work up a sweat, and I'll have to drink. You want me to drink, don't you? Oh. Tommy, you think you can mow the lawn? Mow the lawn? What do you mow the lawn? You know what happens when I mow the lawn? It's hot out there. I'll be cutting the grass. I'm going to have to get a drink. You want me to drink, don't you? You don't have to be drunk to be useless. You can be dead sober and useless as a bed bug. Tell me, pray. Pray. Pray to who? Get a sponsor. I don't want a sponsor. I don't want to get too close to you people. Suppose I don't make it. After four months, I come to the conclusion. And I'm sleeping on the couch. I don't sleep in the bed. My wife don't believe this thing's going to work. You're not going to get me pregnant again, you son of a gun. You stay on the couch. I'm the... People say, how come you go all over the country and leave those meetings? I slept on the couch for 18 months. Anytime I get a chance to spend the bedroom with my wife, I'm going to grab it. You better believe I'm going to grab it. It's all right, too. It's good. It's good. 
these here, I, I, they say, you want two queen beds? I says, no, one single. <laughs> That's all I want to sleep in. Come on, honey, I got your big bed to sleep in. <laughs> no. I decided my problem is some booze, it's money. I hear about jobs out the curly, they're working seven twelves, and I figure that's it. Some guy told me, Tommy, you're chasing fool's gold, stick around and you get your feet wet, get get something solid. Let God take care of those things. God don't pay bills. You know that? God don't pay bills. You take your bills. Here God, you watch the boom. He don't pay bills, he don't do windows, he don't answer phones. He gets you well enough so you pay the bills. You pay the bills. You dig the hole, you climb out. How'd I go? As a result of staying sober out there seven weeks in a good apprenticeship in Cleveland, I went up in charge of Titan Tool Fuel Systems. I'm born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. I've never seen a cow in my life. I lease a ranch, 300 acre ranch. I got chickens and everything. Call the wife, bring the kids out, you're gonna love it. We go deer hunting in the backyard, pheasant hunting, everything. Right here, bitch, bring the kids out. You drinking? Nope, okay, I'll be out. That night I went to town. Had a shot and a beer. <laughs> and that was the beginning of everything I heard at meetings that happened to them guys that never happened to me. You know what happened? It's out there waiting for you. It's out there waiting. Wife come out. In June, she stayed till Christmas twice. My family was froze to death. One time, the cops called her, told her to come in and get me. I was in jail, and she drove into town to get me and hit a blizzard, hit a snow blizzard, a whiteout, got out of the car, her eyes froze shut. Was there a few little truck that found them? They would have died. Not this time, similar. I was on Dream Street. Go to work, and I'd have a bottle with me every minute. I think it's Tuesday. It's Saturday. The only way I'm holding a job, I couldn't hold a superintendent's job anymore, I couldn't read a print. I'm back welding. The only way I'm holding a job is the guys that used to take care of recovering for me. I'm making terrific money, we're working seven twelves, working around the clock. I go out to the go out to the ranch one time, my neighbor gave me a bunch of chickens so you have eggs. Say how nutty you get. I'm gonna raise I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna be the chicken king. <laughs> I figured there's 2,000 guys out in that yard, they need eggs, they need fresh eggs. I'll get all these chickens, I'll get the eggs, I'll sell the eggs, I'll make a fortune. <laughs> Go to work, I tell all the guys in the job, if you need any, any eggs, just come out to the ranch or call me, I'll bring them in the next morning. Some guy from Iowa or somewhere says to me, Tommy, you ever raise eggs, I have chickens, and I no, nothing to it. I says, you put them in a cage, you can feed, they give you eggs, and you sell the eggs. He says, oh, you gotta gravel in with the egg, with the feed. I said, gravel? He says, yeah. I said, why? He says, makes the eggshells hard. I said, right? He says, yeah. So I called Tony. Tony was from New Jersey. Tony never seen a damn chicken either. I called Tony. I said, Tony, I need some gravel out in the, on the chicken coop. Tony dumps 10 tons of gravel in the chicken coop. <laughs> the chicken's coop and breaks all the air under the chicken career. The moral of the story is, if you don't know what you're doing, get a sponsor. Get a sponsor. I'm not talking about the blind leading the blind that somebody's been around a while that will chop your legs off. And he don't care whether you like him or not, he's done here to gain friends and influence people, he's here to save your life. That's the kind of sponsor you get. Wife left, I stayed out there another three or four months, I was, I was snaky. Some guy from my house said, I'm going home, let me take you home. Got to the back door, the wife says, keep going. 
keep going. Get out of our lives. I don't want the kids to see. If you got any decency at all in you, just just disappear. So I went to the hallway, gave me a ticket to go to work in New York. I got to New York. I'm too sick to work. I stopped in for a few drinks, and I wake up in the hallway in the apartment house where my mom and dad live, and my mother steps out for the milk the next morning. I'm sleeping there, and she just broke down. As a result of this program, I was able to buy my folks a house in Florida. Before they died, they had four or five good years in Florida. What a blessing this thing is. So you get on your old age, you spend a few days with this guy, a few days with that guy. They got families now. You sleep on the couch, you wear, you walk around. You wake up on Canal Street with the weeds and the winos. And you look around and you say, I don't belong to these people. I'm different than they are. No, you're not. You're an alcoholic. That's where you're going to end up. Prison, Dream Street, the morgue, or the insane asylum. There's no, no, no getting away from it. Come, come with us and visit these places. You'll see what I'm talking about. So it finally dawns on me, boy, it's all their fault. Never my fault. Anything that ever happened to me was never always their fault. Boy, they're going to be sorry. I'll kill me. Where did they hear what happened to me? They'll hurt. I'm going to kill me. Think how they're going to hurt. My wife be tickled with that. I get down to the dry dock where I'm going to jump on 2nd Avenue and I look down and I see these great big boulders, these rocks. And, and suddenly I got a, a one flick of sanity. Tommy, suppose you jump and you hit the rocks and you don't die. God, that's going to hurt. Huh? Oh, no. No, no. I don't want to hurt. Call the wife. My wife is hurting at that time, trying to raise the kids, working and everything. She figured if I get back in town, maybe I could give her a few bucks. So she sent me bus fare and I come home. She's lucky you can sleep on the couch so you get yourself together then. Get a job, get a room somewhere, but give us money. I'm down the hall in a couple of weeks, and they gave me a three-day job. I went down the mill, I worked three days, I got a check, I went to a bar to cash it, and I woke up in jail. And I cried all night, I said, oh my God, what? I, I wasn't worried about being an alcoholic, I was worried about being totally insane. I, I'm in jail, I know why I'm in jail, what the hell am I doing in jail again? Cop walks by and says, boy, you did it this time, Burns, and you don't know what the hell you did. Well, what you did, you went home, you punched all the furniture out, you broke the walls, you took all her favorite dishes and you broke everything and when the cops come you had her by the throat I don't believe in laying a hand on a woman drunk I got my wife I could kill her this time she don't drop the charges I wake up the next morning and I look between the bars and there's my brother-in-law my nutty brother-in-law and he's cleaned up and shaved and his eyes are bright and even with him I gotta put up my wall you know your wall you can't let anybody in you can't let them know you're afraid I said, well, can you imagine I'm in jail again? He says, can I? Of course I can imagine you're in jail again. You're just like me, Tom. When you drink, you're crazy. You're just like me. You're an alcoholic. You're just like me. When you drink, you're crazy. Tom, I haven't had a drink in eight days. Eight days. Oh, no, Bob. You couldn't go eight days. I drank with you. You can't go eight. Tommy, I went to detox. I'm home. I go to two meetings a day, Tom. I haven't had a drink in eight days. Eight days is a lifetime. One day is a lifetime. If they don't send you away, Tom, I'll take you with me tonight. I got six years probation, and that night they took me to Lorraine St. Mary's. He come to my house with a man old enough not far, but went to Lorraine St. Mary's. I can't tell you anything about the the, the lead 
And I'm just sitting at the table, and I'm saying to myself, oh, God, somebody in this room, somebody help me. Somebody say something. Somebody do something. Somebody fix me. Guy comes over to me. He says, how you doing, young fellow? I says, fine. <laughs> fine. Can't let anybody in. After the meeting, the guy that become my sponsor shook hands with another man. See you next week. And I grabbed him. I said, how do you know that? How do you know you're going to see him next week? How do you know you're... you're you're going to be sober next week. I don't even know if I'm going to make it home tonight. He's back off and come with me. And we went to a drugstore. with got vitamin D, carol syrup, orange juice, and honey. Went to my kitchen table. He poured out the vitamin D pills, mixed the orange juice, and the honey. He says, take them and drink that. You talk about a third step? Made a decision to turn your life over to apologizing yourself? I made a decision. I turned my life over to him. I didn't have any faith in a God. He was my God. He was my power greater than myself. He was sober 12 years. He had the good eyes. I got the feeling he liked me. And whatever he was wanted me to do, I was going to do because I was afraid not to. I drank the juice and took the pills and drank the juice. Finally, he said, what time is it? I said, 10 after 12. Did you have a drink today? I said, no. He says, you got it. I said, I got what? He said, you got the program. I got what program? What the hell are you talking about? I got the program. You haven't had a drink in 24 hours. That's bottom line. There's more. You're not ready. I'll be here at 8 o'clock in the morning. Do you realize you have one third of today in? Keep it simple, people. Keep it simple. God, I, I, I see people so concerned with, with head trips and why they... I had a guy that... He might be dead now. I seen him two years ago. He was struggling with this program for 20 years because he had to learn how... Got to find out why I drink. I don't give a damn why you drink. Just in nature, you say, what the hell? I don't care why you drink. It means nothing. Come to my house, he just come back from, I don't know, Arizona or some damn place. He comes to my kitchen. He says, Tom, I found out why I drank. <laughs> you did? Why? My mother didn't breastfeed me. <laughs> your mother didn't, you're 42 years old, you dumb son of a gun. You want to suck on something, I'll get your cow. What the hell is it? <laughs> I don't know where this comes from. He's still on me to him. Still drunk. He's got to go find out. That's like sitting there, oh, like, no, no. Oh, God. Anyway, next morning, 8 o'clock, that man was there. He was at my house. Took me into a halfway house. I got a shot of vitamin D. Went to two discussion groups. And that night he came to my house, I went to a meeting. And I became a mechanical man. Meetings, 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 meetings. And warned me every night. Meetings, meetings, meetings. I don't want to go to that meeting. That guy's going to tell me to pray. That guy's going to tell me to do this. I'm afraid not to, so I do it. People in my head did not keep me sober. My feet kept me sober. My head wanted to drink. My feet took me to a meeting. My head wanted to drink. My feet took me to my sponsor's house. My head wanted to drink. My feet took me down to talk and pray with Sister Ignatia. My head wanted to drink. I'll go home and my wife read books to me. I'm not knocking this book. This is my Bible. This book will not keep you sober. Anyone the Bible will get you to heaven or piano makes you a piano player. Doing what the book tells you to do, that's what will keep you sober. The sobriety is in the action, people, in the moving, in the doing. I don't care if it's picking up chairs, making coffee, or driving a new man or a meeting. It's in the action. Because through the action you forget you. And that's the beginning. That's the beginning. I can take you to Cleveland, Ohio, and introduce you to people that can tell you this is on page 449. That's on page 65. This is here. Quote the 12 steps by heart. Tell you everything about the program. And they're drunk. Because they forgot to do. 
things you do. I'm introduced to a black man at 17 years of sobriety and the most wonderful eyes you've ever seen in your life. And he can't even read. But he does. He does. Like the book tells. <coughs> action. Oh, God. Believe me. Action. I'll tell you what action does. Meanings, meanings, meanings. Things at home are terrible. We're still in hot. We're still in debt. Go to a meeting one night. Somebody says, any anniversaries? And somebody says, Tommy's sober here. And everybody claps. Ray. Oh, I got to hit that thing. And I'm driving home that night. This guy says, what the hell are you giving her the money for? You've been giving her money for a year. And she is still broke. She's on dope, Tom. Is that right? Yeah. This guy says, what the hell are you sleeping on the couch for? For crying out loud, you're sleeping on the couch. You're the one that works. She should be sleeping on the couch, not you. Tell her to sleep on the couch. You sleep in the bed. Is that right? Yeah. I'm in the car by myself. <laughs> I got six nuts in his head. Worst thing I could do is think. Worst thing I could do is think. Have the same problem with golf. I play golf now. I do great until I start to think. Oh, got to get the whole thing goes to pot. Don't think, just do. Meetings, meetings, meetings. I walk in the house that night. She's sitting on the couch reading them communist books. New game rules in this house. From now on, I handle the money. You don't know how to handle money. I'll be giving you checks every week, and we're still broke. And that's another thing, Sam. Talk about checks. When I first come here, I didn't want a sponsor. Get a sponsor. Please, get a sponsor. I remember I come to a meeting and some yo-yo up here said, Don't tempt yourself. Take the check home to the little woman. And I got a full check that week and I brought it home and I walked in the house. I says, Here, honey. I thought she was going to kiss my feet. She looked at the check and says, How long have you been making this kind of money? <laughs> Biggest fight you've ever seen in your life. Now, if you've got a sponsor, he'll tell you. Don't get too honest too fast. Look, honey, we just got a raise. I want to share it with you. Keep peace. Keep peace. God almighty, nothing worse than scares me more. I watch a guy come in here and put a fifth down and pick up a Bible. You're biting off more than you can chew. You're going to crawl before you walk and you're going to walk before you run and you're going to fall flat in your face time and time again. And you're going to live like this. You're going to go up there maybe on this weekend. You go up to cloud nine. God, go to cloud 15. But if you're new, get a parachute. Because you're coming down. Boom. You're going to live like a yo-yo for a year, two years. That goes with the territory, people. Goes with the territory. It's the, it's the brain getting refreshed and renewed. And the old guy fighting because he wants to take over. And the new guy saying, no, I don't want to do that. And you go back and forth like a nut. And finally you get a new brain. Walk in the living room, I just say. New game rules. Huh. I'm going to sleep in the bed, and you're going to sleep on the couch, and I'm going to handle the money. And she says, whoa. That's what I mean, whoa. She never said whoa before she got with those people. Now it's whoa. I said, whoa. I said, you know what today is? She said, well, I know what today is. She's going in the kitchen, look at the calendar. Now, when I'm in the kitchen, there's a great big red circle. July the 5th, Tom Sober, one year, two days. Still crazy. Come out in the kitchen, says Tom. 
I used to think the booze was our problem. I used to think you act by the way you act and yelled and screamed and run raid because the booze made you crazy. But you haven't had anything to drink in a year, so I know that, and you're still crazy. I can't live with you drunk or sober, but I'm going to go see an attorney, I'm going to get divorced. I'm fed up with being your whipping post. The kids got to have a normal life, and, and they can't have a normal life with you, whether you're drinking or not. You're still nuts. You're going to divorce me, and I went to meetings, I grabbed the old timers, I yelled and screamed at them. And all they were saying, sit down. Sit down, nutty. Sit down. <laughs> oh, no, no. I go to a meeting, I'm sober 14 months, and the guy gets up here and he tells my story. And he was sober six years, and they just bought, got a new apartment, and that day they bought a new refrigerator, and they already had a new new station wagon. And him and the two kids and the wife were going on a vacation. And his wife is out there, and I looked at her, and she's looking at him like he's a movie star. And I sat there, and I said to myself, when the hell is that going to happen for me? When are my kids going to want to be with me? When is my wife going to look at me like that? When, what, what am I doing wrong? How come sobriety for me every day has to be a fight? How come I can't have it? People come in after me, and, and, and they're happy. I see them. I go in their houses. The kids are hugging them. My kids are afraid of me. What's the matter? What do I have to do? And the end of this lady says, take it home. Take it home. You know why you're going to hear old-timers from all over the country telling you to take it home? The toughest time you're going to have staying sober is when you're fighting at home. And the toughest place to work this program is home. It's easy when things at home start going better. If you want to yell and scream, fine. Come in here and yell and scream. He's six foot two. Find somebody six foot two. Yell and scream at him. Then go home and say, hey, come on, honey, I want to take you and the kids for ice cream. After me, they sat down a bunch of old timers. I says, don't tell me to work a program, work a program. Now tell me how. What do we do? Tell me what to do. Then when was the last time they said, honey, thanks for a nice supper. What do you mean, thanks for a nice supper? I buy the food, she better cook it. <laughs> when was the last time you called up and, and never? I might have sold 14 months, I never thought of anybody but me. Four absolutes, one of them's unselfish. Just put that in your life for 30 days, watch your life turn around. Watch your life turn around when you learn how to get you out of the way. On the way home, I figured, well, if I don't, do something. An old timer grabbed me that night. He said, Tommy, can I talk to you over there a minute? I said, sure. I figured he needed some advice, right? Puts his arm around my shoulder. He say to yourself, son, it's selfish son of a gun. When are you going to grow up? A little over a year ago, you were sleeping in the weeds. Did you forget that? Now you got a warm bed to sleep in. He says, you got a wife and your kids. you got everything going for you. you got a job. you got a few bucks in your pocket. And all you do is moan and groan. You haven't got a Cadillac. Isn't that a damn shame? When are you going to learn how to say thank you, God, for the things you have? When are you going to do that, Burns? Grow up. And he walked away. And I thought, boy, I must have brain damage because I'm, I'm not getting what these people are getting out of this thing. I've got to do something or I'm going to drink. I've got to change or I'm going to drink. So on the way home, I stop. I buy a box of chocolate-covered cherries. $1.89. And a card that you give somebody that was in the hospital. Thanks for being there when I needed you. Love, Tom. Joe Yo-Yo from the street. I'm going to be a lover. I walk in the house, I don't even have the guts to give it to her. I put it on the kitchen table. This is not marriage counseling I'm getting into. This is AA. This is the first time in my life I did something for somebody besides me. First time in my life I ever thought of somebody else besides myself. Try it. I walked in the living room, she was sitting there, and I says, Glenn, just, just give me two minutes of your time. That's all I want, Glenn. 
Damn, I heard the guy talk tonight, and I want to be like him, Glenn. He's got his kids and his wife. They're going on a vacation. And sure, they're struggling, Glenn, but boy, there's something there. That, and I want to be like him. I'm going to try to change. Give me a couple of months. If I don't change, Glenn, I'll leave. But if I do, we're going to have a hell of a life. She looked up and smiled said, Who led the meeting, Jesus? <laughs> Couldn't believe anything happening. She says, I'll make some coffee. She's now in the kitchen. About two minutes, I heard her crying. I went out in the kitchen, and she had the card and the candy, and she lost it. She just lost it. First time anybody ever did anything for her. And I started crying, and, and, we, and we sat at the kitchen table, and we talked, and we cried, and we talked, and we cried, and we hugged, because I listened. First time in my life, I listened. Yeah, you have a brain. I didn't know that. Yeah, you have feelings. I didn't know that. And we got out the envelopes. We start putting ten a week in this one, ten a week in that one. Anybody here on the couch? Get a box of candy. <laughs> I used to think it was big things. It's little things. Hey, babe. Let's have lunch together and, and we'll go golf in this afternoon. Hey, babe. I, I, I got tickets for a show. Let's, babe. Just little things. Little, little things. That's all. Come home one day and she says, Tommy, you see that $30 on the kitchen table? I says, yeah, I sold for 18 months. She says, that's ours. That's our $30. I says, it is. She says, yeah. Got the kids and we, we went for pancake breakfast in our new used station wagon. <laughs> now, we're, oh God, I'm in the business 15 years ago with the help of people and then we, we, it's great. And we, we, we go on cruises and we fly here and play golf, fly there and play golf. It's all bullshit. But we, we, <laughs> My greatest joy is grabbing my grandkids and stealing them for pancake breakfast. The rest of it's all nonsense. You're bored, so you do it. Go to my sponsor, tell him, gee, I'm back in the bed again. I'm getting better jobs. We're doing good. Oh, great. That night at midnight, my phone rings. He's come pick me up, Tom. About time he did some 12-step work. We get to this guy's house and, and walk in, and there's two little kids in sneakers and underwear. This one at a time. And they're crying and they're scared, five, six years old. Here's a girl sitting by the kitchen sink, big booze on her face. She's crying and, and she says, my husband's dead. He asked me to call me. I look in, there's a lump on a couch, just a lump. So I go in, I pick him up and I listen for a heart and I listen for a breath. Nothing, nothing. This guy is dead. And I, you son of a gun, why'd you have to die on my first doorstep call? What the hell am I going to tell the guys Friday night? Yeah, I go to carry a message, I get a corpse. What the hell do you want me to do? I go back out in the kitchen, I grab the old timer, I says, hey, Bill, this guy is. He went over to this woman, he says, young lady, do you have anything in the house to drink? She says, have a glass of wine, a bottle of wine. He took the bottle of wine and a glass, walked in the living room, hit them together, says, hey, buddy, want a drink? This guy sits right up. I look at that. They even raised the dead, these people. Give him a drink, he want to come to a party? Oh, one thing he did that impressed me, and impressed the hell out of the guy, the guy took the wine and when he got the glass about half emptied, this guy filled it up again. This guy said, boy, you guys were all right. Damn right, he says. Come on. Brought him down to the hospital, went down the ramp, Flo took him, just bring him in the last room. He says to me, wash him up, put him in bed. I said, well, just wash him up, give him a shower. Let me give him a shower. 
That's part of the job, Tommy. Clean him up, get his pajamas, put him on, put him in the bed. You want to stay sober? Yeah, do it. Do it. Okay. Well, you wash him, you put him in the bed. Get home about five in the morning, go to work. Get home about five that night, you're exhausted. I don't even want to eat. I want to take a shower and go to bed. I start upstairs to bed and the phone rings. It's the old timer. You stop and see the new man? No, I didn't stop and see the new man. I'm, I'm, I'm not retired. I worked all day. I'm going to bed. No, you're not. You're going down to see the new man. No, I'm not. I don't like the new man. You put him in there, he's done there six days. You see him every day. Phil, I, I, I don't know what to tell him. Who the hell says you got to tell him anything? How about getting him some cigarettes and going down, sitting in his bed and letting him know somebody cares enough to be there? That's all you got to do. You're not God. Slam the phone down. I go get the cigarettes. I go to the... I don't go to the hospital because I think I'm Jesus saving the world. I go to the hospital because I'm afraid if I don't go to the hospital, I'll get drunk. And I'll do whatever I have to do not to drink. And I get to the hospital. I walk in. He's sitting there. He looks grouchy. How you doing? Ugh. How's the food? Ugh. Feel okay there? <laughs> hey, you son of a... I don't like you either. But here's your cigarettes. I don't care if you smoke. You don't smoke. Smoke the cigarettes. My sponsor says, I got to come here for six days. I'm coming here for six days. I'm going to sit in this damn bed and we're going to talk. And he said, oh, thanks. Shook hands. And we talked. And you know why he was a little Because he was afraid to tell me. He felt like crying and he was afraid because he didn't know if he had a home when he went home. He didn't know if his wife was going to be there. And I said, yeah, I know that feeling. I went home to empty houses. I woke up in the morning and my family was gone. And when he seen that I was there, then we talked. And he was afraid. Yeah, he was afraid. I know that feeling. Done that, done that. Six days I've seen him. Seven days take him home. Seven nights, taking a meeting, and I was running meetings every night. I was taking this guy to meetings. You should have seen me. I thought it was God. <laughs> gotta hear this guy. Gotta hear that guy. Oh, this guy's good. That guy's good. Oh, don't like that guy. He liked that guy. I didn't like the guy, but he liked him. <laughs> he gets in my car. He's sober three months. He says to me, boy, that 24-hour book is great, isn't it? Did you read 24-hour book today? <laughs> no, I didn't read 24-hour book today. <laughs> boy, that's great. I went to a meeting. I bought one. One of the little black 24-hour books. Well, I went home that night, read yesterday, last week, last month, ready to come out. I thought you'd be smart, huh? Gets in my car, he's sober. Five months, I'm the hell sponsoring who? The chapter blows your mind, don't it, Tom? I went to the meeting, I bought a big book, one of these. I don't know where you were. I scramble eggs when I come here. I could read, I read this paragraph, by the time I got to this one, I know what the hell was in that one. I got sobriety in church basements, kitchens, cars, going down and praying in the sister nation and listening to talk to new people, worrying about religion and spirituality, being born and raised Catholic, I always thought it was the same, sister Ignatius street now as you get God in here, I don't care what you call it, get God in here. We're not interested in what church you go to, fine, go to church, if that helps you, fine, go there, it's good. Great. We're here to bring you back to a normal, useful, healthy life. Meetings, meetings, meetings. I'm taking this guy. Finally, eight months, his wife calls me and she's crying. She's, oh, Tom, could you please come down to the house? Now, first thing he needs is this son of a lunch drinking. 
He's going to hospital. You bet he's going to break his damn head. That son of a... After all I did, and I go running down to that house and I closed it. I remember the car door scrank closed and a screen door slammed. And I looked up and here comes this woman and she's crying. And she takes both my hands and puts them behind my back and puts a cheek against mine. I can feel the tears. And she says, God bless you, Tom Burns, and God bless A.A. And that, that's when it happens. A.A. goes from the head to the heart. You don't join A.A. It becomes part of you. It's in your blood. I can't separate AA from my life anymore. My fingers from my hands. Kids come running out. Uncle Tom, come on, come on. Pull you in a house into a bedroom and there's a bed full of slips and dresses and Levi's and sneakers and underwear, everything. He's standing by the bed crying. Little bicycle, refrigerator full of food. He got a job, went to the credit union, borrowed 1200 bucks, and they went Christmas shopping in June. Huh? I'm not a hugger. I got it. All this hugging shakes me. I got more things tied on me in the last couple of days. But I hugged him. I hugged him. And I got out there and I'm in the car and I'm screaming, God, there is a God. My, oh. I'm singing to him. I'm yelling with him. I'm, I'm, I felt good. I walked in the house. I said, Glenn, you should see that kids. You should see that, that house. I said, she said, yeah, and i never seen you so happy. You want to get happy? Forget yourself. You think you got problems? Oh, yeah, you got problems. Well, let's put all our problems on a piece of paper and put them on the coffee. And when you go to get a cup of coffee, read all the problems. 99% of you will take your own back. <laughs> so my life starts going good. And I go into business, make a lot of money, and I'm going all over the country with my wife, and we're telling this great thing, story about AA and how wonderful it is. And I'm sober 23 years, and my daughter came in the program. She had three years of sobriety. My son came in right after her. And my daughter, as a result of three years of sobriety, going back to school, got a job in advertising, and she was doing promotion for Coca-Cola. And she was sending us letters from Aruba and Gravara all over the world, and her mother would visit her in Tennessee and Kentucky and wherever. New Orleans, Washington. Finally, she used to go home between assignments, and, and her and I would sit at the kitchen table, and she'd tell me how AA was here and AA was there, and we'd have to talk all night. And she'd come to meetings with me, and, oh, God. Finally, she said, Dad, my next assignment's down in Florida, Dad, and I don't want that movie company touching my antiques. I said, honey, anything she wanted, she had. That was it. So I got a company truck, and we put all the collection in the company truck, and I gave her the Italian convertible, and Glenn drove the family car, and I drove the truck and went to Florida, and we unloaded her. Beautiful place. Security guards and swimming pools. And I said, come on, we'll go out and eat, and then we'll come. No, you and Mom go eat and have a good time. I want to fix my apartment up, you know, I'll be there. Fine, fine. Next morning, come on, help me with the breakfast. Nope, you go swim with Mom. I'll, Dad, you did everything you can do for me. Let me do something for you. Go swim with Mom. Let me cook the breakfast. So we had breakfast. There was a lot of hugging and kissing. Finally, we drove home. And uh, at home, in, in 10 days, I got a phone call that my daughter was murdered. A drug addict cased the place and seen all the goodies and broke in because he needed money for drugs. And he killed my daughter because she woke up. And uh, everything you think you know about God and how much wonderful his life is. You go, you go out in the backyard and you, you tell God to go to hell. Because I'm going down to Florida, God, and I'm going to blow some of these damn head off. 
and you go to the trial and you li- oh, you listen all that nonsense you got through uh, two detectives with me I'm no more than 20 feet from this guy and I even took my pipe you go nuts I shaved my pipe down with a razor I was going to stab him and the detective sitting right next to me says Tommy please don't do anything foolish I won't know whether to shoot you or take you to the airport so that nonsense goes on he killed three other girls and I got home and uh, you go to bed at 11 you wake up at 12 and you walk the floor all night and they always come to your house to talk to you and you tell them to go to hell take their God and their program and stick it and you cut off all spiritual help and all of you you're obsessed with wanting to kill somebody and how are you going to kill them and you go to meetings and they say the Lord's Prayer and you say go to hell God because you can't take part in this program and want to kill somebody if they don't mix and three years of this, sleeping an hour or two a night for three years. And finally one day I go to the kitchen and I, I get to the kitchen drawer to get something and I, I just don't know where I am. Something to do with the, the body not generating the fluids the brain needs and you short circuit. You think you're moving this hand, you're moving this one. And then you go, you, you, you go nuts. And your wife comes home to shop and she walks in, you don't want her to see you like that. So you get out, get out of here. Just, just get out. What's the matter, honey? What can, just get out. And you stand there, and I don't know how long it was, but next thing I know, my son Chris got his arm on my shoulder. He said, Dad, what's the matter? Come on, let's go to the hospital. You're not God. You can crack up. And Chris, another day, took me to the hospital. I wound up in the metal ward. And they sent little Chinese people in. Do you love your mother? <laughs> what the hell are you? Yeah, I love my mother, yeah. And, uh... I, I, I refuse to have any visitors. I don't want anybody from AA. I don't want anybody coming. I cut off myself. And I was there about eight days, and uh, my son comes in the room. And he's, he has the big book. And he says, Dad, these people may be able to help you spiritually, and they, uh, physically, and they may be able to help you mentally, Dad. But me, Dad, me and this book, we're going to help you spiritually. I said, Chris, take your book, you God, and get the hell out of here. He's killed my daughter. And my son, who had five years of sobriety at that time, says, Oh, Dad, where'd you get that God? That isn't the God we know, Dad. That isn't the God we, you told me about all my life. That isn't the God that took you out of the gutter. That isn't the God that, that gave me my family back. That isn't the God we know at meetings. That isn't the God we see in people's eyes. The God I know, Dad, is a loving God. He probably cried too when Kareem was killed. God didn't kill my sister. A child had killed my sister, Dad. A very sick individual killed my sister, Dad. Not God. Dad, he says, Oh my God, till you get well enough to get your own. I wrote in the book and I took the second part of the first step. Second part of the first step of my life's unmanageable. A lot of us take the first part. We don't take the second part. Lots get drunk again because we took the first part and not the second part. God, you help me with my drinking, God, but I want to keep this little something I got going on the side. You help me drinking, God, but I'll handle my gambling, God. You help me drink, God, but stab this part of my life, God. Don't work that way. You take sobriety on sobriety's terms. You take AA on AA's terms. So we started. And my son sponsored me. And we go to business meetings and, and, and I would sit there and they start asking me things about the, the design of the building or whatever. And, and I would light my pipe and he would ask the questions. Nobody in business even knew I was sick. 
this program, people. There's not a problem you can have with someone in this room who haven't had it before you. <coughs> this book can't get you through. We got the greatest gift that was ever given to man. Right here. Right in these rooms. And I'm going to tell you one thing, and my whole thing is based on it. The best thing I could say to any new man, bring the body. The mind will catch up. Move the feet. God bless you.